Welcome to Acton Line, a product of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Gabriel Jaja, producer. Genuine friendships are one of the core qualities of a great life. Cicero called a friend a second self. C.S. Lewis exalted friendship as adding value to survival. Whether in antiquity or modernity, friendship plays an integral part in the richness of the human experience for men and women alike. However, recent studies have shown that the amount of friendships the average man has are on the decline. Today, I sit down with Daniel Cox, founder and director of the Survey Center on American Life and a senior research fellow at the American Enterprise Institute to discuss his article in the National Review, American Men Suffer a Friendship Recession, an article focused on the diminishing rates of male friendships in the United States and its implications on America's social sphere. If friendship is indeed an inherent good, what threats does its absence present to modern American society? You can find additional resources in the show notes of this episode, as well as find previous episodes of Acton Line on our website at acton.org slash actonline. If you like this program, you could help us reach even more listeners by sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We welcome your comments as well. Act in Line is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Declining religious involvement, lower marriage rates, and changes in the workplace may be creating a surge of disconnection. I'm joined today by Daniel Cox, the founder and director of the Survey Center on American Life and senior research fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Daniel, welcome to Acton Line. Thanks for having me. You wrote an article in the National Review, American Men Suffer a Friendship Recession. I'll provide the link in the show notes. Uh, this topic is important because we all lived in isolation for a year, and that, I believe, exacerbated some challenges that were already occurring that men are struggling with friendship and loneliness. What inspired you to write this? And did you see a pattern in the younger male generation? Yeah, so the the survey that we conducted that has now been featured in a number of, of news articles, including the op-ed that I wrote for the National Review, was focused on friendship in particular. But there's a larger body of work that uh, this was built on. So in 2020, I conducted a follow-up survey on social networks. And, and this is to get an idea of how the people around us, the people close to us, influence our behaviors, uh, you know, provide us with different ranges of, of, of knowledge and information. They both incentivize certain behaviors and maybe disincentivize others. And so it's really understanding the social environment and what role that plays in our lives but a key part of that is also understanding how large our social networks are. And so this 2020 survey revealed a pretty significant decline in the size of our social networks. Now, we were in the midst of the pandemic, and so we we were aware that the sort of social isolation, uh, social restrictions were probably playing a role, and that, that, that was the case, but only for a minority. So for most people who had no close social contacts, um, most of them said that this situation had been uh, predated the pandemic. So they were they already contracting uh, before we all went into lockdown. So we conducted a follow-up survey just to focus on friendships, which is not a subject that gets a lot of attention, unfortunately. And we found this really significant decline in the number of people who have uh, no close friends. 
And for men, this decline uh, was particularly pronounced. So do Americans have less friends now than they had in the past? And is this decline different for men and women? Yeah, so the, the best evidence that we have at this moment suggests that we are seeing a decline. So we replicated a, a 1990 Gallup study. So we asked the same question in the same way uh, to a representative national sample, and we see really significant declines in the number of uh, friends that men and women have. So for, for men, for instance, uh, roughly or more than half of men in 1990 had six or more close friends. Today, it's just 27%. We're seeing a decline among women too. It's just not as much. So uh, women in 1990, 41% had six or more friends. Today, it's 24%. So again, uh, the decline is occurring nationally. And we looked among a lot of different other demographic groups and, and no one is really escaping this. Uh, but we're just seeing men are particularly affected. So men socialize differently than women. I wonder how that affects our friendship development. Well, it, it certainly does. And I think we have kind of a gendered idea of friendship in some ways that, that men and women somehow need different things and, and then operate differently because it because of that fact, right? That women need one thing and men need another. Mm -hmm. But in fact, um, both men and women benefit when they have a close, intimate relationships with their friends. You know, in our survey, we found that both men and women were less likely to feel alone or depressed or anxious when they received uh, emotional support from their friends. So, so these things are beneficial in both men and women equally. It's not that just women benefit from having these kind of close connections. Um, men do as well. And I think one of the uh, unfortunate, thing, unfortunate things is we often put romantic relationships and friendships in opposition to each other. Mm. Uh, we tend to think of them as categorically different. And I think this is just a mistake. Uh, as my former colleague, Arthur Brooks, has, has argued, I think persuasively, you know, what actually makes us happy is stable affection, mutual understanding, and commitment. And this is what the best research tells us. And good friendship can offer all of this. You know, that's interesting. I would never think of joining the two, that good friendships and romance are are actually connected. They're not as far apart as we make them out to be, right? You know, you can have affection, you can have commitment, you can have trust, like all of that can be found in a friendship um, as well as a romantic relationship, right? There's a, there's a definite physical aspect that is entirely different uh, and appropriately so. Um, but, but we know, we know that men seek this out anyway, right? They, they want emotional support. Um, but oftentimes they seek it out in the women in their lives. So even if they're not married, uh, they may seek it out in, in a female friend. And, and again, in our survey, we asked people if they had opposite gender friends and the men who had opposite gender friends were far more likely to see, receive emotional support than the men without any opposite gender friends. So they just had other male friends. And so we, we know all this from, from the data. We know it in, in aggregate. Um, and in fact, no one is more likely to have an opposite gender friend than single men. So they're prioritizing it more than single women, more than married men. And I think it's because they get something different from their married, uh, or their, sorry, their, their female friends than they get from their male friends. And I think a lot of that has to do with how men are socialized. So what about husbands and wives and, and their dynamic of friendship? Is it necessary for a husband to say that his wife uh, is his best friend and he doesn't need anyone else? Is that, is that a healthy perspective? No, 
it's, I think it's not. And I think people are increasingly arguing this. Um, I think it was popular not too long ago to sort of say, you know, my, my wife or my husband is my best friend. And that's great if, if there's that bond and that intimacy there, you know, we, we want all that. Um, that's all good and healthy, but I think, and we see this more for men than for women. If you kind of need your wife to be everything, your best friend, your confidant, your companion, like all, all like fulfilling all your emotional and personal needs. Um, that's a lot to pile on one person. Right. So I think the marriages that are, are really healthy are ones in which both people in the partnership have sort of stable number of other social relationships, other things that they, they can get um, their social needs met. And we see this again in the data that um, for, for older Americans, friendships, even for older Americans who are married, friendships is more predictive of happiness than the relationships with the family members. So it's, it's, it's the, the friendships that really matters at that age. I wonder how this affects marriages then when the study shows that more people should have different gendered friends. I mean, is it okay for me to have a friend who is a female outside of my marriage? Yeah, and I think this is really challenging. And and the the group that is least likely to have an opposite gender friend are married women. Hmm. And I think that there there's a lot going on there. But you know, I think there's a lot uh, in our culture uh, that suggests that like, oh, you know, um, this idea that men only want one thing, and then you know, a, a, a man can't want. Uh, just kind of emotional int- intimacy and a friendship and, and respect the boundary, right? That the, there's, it's platonic and, and there's nothing physical going to happen, right? So that, I think that that creates a, a, an, what I would say is an artificial boundary that, you know, both men and women, I think would benefit from having healthy opposite gender friendships, you know, and, and in general, this is true in general, right? Like having friends from a variety, who can offer you a variety of different perspectives, have a variety of different experiences, whether it's politics, whether it's race and ethnicity, whether it's religion um, and gender too, right? Like those are very valuable. It just allows us sort of to step outside our own experience. And so, you know, for, for this discussion, we're talking about, you know, men and women, but I think it's a true across the board when we think about having just availing yourself to an array of different experiences. Hmm. And, and for men and married men in particular, they're much more likely than women to say that the first person they go to when they have a personal problem is their spouse. Uh, married women are much less likely to do so. They have generally uh, a more robust social circle uh, to support them and ultimately uh, benefit from that. How do traditional notions of masculinity affect the way that men make friends? And has this been affected by the LGBT worldview? Yeah, so the, this is this is obviously a thorny question. Um, it's politically loaded. And and so liberals and conservatives, I think, come on, on different sides here. And I think it, we'll just uh, sort of throw both on the table and we can talk about it. Sure. I think for conservatives, uh, they would argue that modern culture has feminized men in ways that make it more difficult for them to engage in traditionally masculine activities and pastimes. Mm-hmm. There are few, uh, all, fewer all-male spaces and societally, we are less accepting of men getting together and, and doing male-oriented activities. So that's, I think, the, the, the conservative argument. Um, I don't find it terribly convincing, and, and certainly I haven't seen any data to, to bear that out. Um, I think liberals, on the other hand, would argue that toxic masculinity is the root of the problem. You know, men are socialized to avoid 
showing affection, particularly to other men, uh, I think that which stops them from forming more intimate connections with their male friends. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to this. It's not the entire story. Um, but we know from an early age that m- women are socialized to be more nurturing and relationship-oriented than men. Men are taught to perceive intimacy with other men as, as effeminate or weak and, and to view it ultimately as, as, as an unnecessary. And I think, you know, homophobia probably plays a role here as well. Sure. So I, I think, you know, it's true that notions of masculinity can reduce the range of, you know, activities and, and ways men engage with one, with one another. Um, you know, we even have this kind of developed this kind of derogatory terminology to, to talk about male friendships. It's a, it's a bromance or a mandate, right? When men get together or two, like two men to get together. Right. Um, on the other hand, right. So I think that's, there's something true about that. Um, but when you look at the group that is most suffering, least able to form lasting social connections, is uh, most socially isolated, is most lonely, it's young men. And young men are much less traditionally masculine than older men. Um, Across culture and race, ethnicity, uh, we know this is true. So they're just, they have less traditional notions of masculinity and they are are also the group that is is most lonely. We see them relying more on their parents than in past generations of young men who are more likely to rely on their friends. And I think one of the things that's happening there is their their living situation so we're we're seeing and 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 the pew research center has found this not since the great depression have we seen more young people living at home and young men are particularly likely to live at home and so one of the things that's great is it fosters i think closer connections with parents the the problems with that is i think it hampers social development right the relationship you have with your parents god bless them um is very different than you have with your peers right, right? there's just there's a they're, they're just not equal. And, and so I think, you know, if you're like, well, I can get the support I need from my, from my parents, it's easier just to sit home and watch TV with them or a movie than to go out and try to do stuff. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's actually a problem. I mean, your parents, unfortunately, are not going to be around forever. Uh, and so, you know, we really need to build out these peer relationships. Do you think that changes negatively in a single parent home or, or there, is there not enough data to show that? Yeah, I, I haven't seen anything on that. I mean, all these dynamics are really complicated and, you know, things move in sometimes unpredictable ways. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some different effects for um, two-parent versus single-parent homes. Um, but, that, yeah, for me, it's not, not uh, no, there's inclusive at this point. Do men have less friends because they're just not willing to put the effort into maintaining those friendships the way that women do? Or is that just simply not true? Yeah, I mean that that has that has a lot to do with it. We know uh, from previous research that for friendship in particular, you know, just putting in the time is really, really important. Right. And um, men are more likely to be engaged in kind of activity-based friendships, right? So, so they, they get together to to play or watch sports or to build a fence or right. So they're the the there's a focus. So that it's not just, I want to get together and hear how your day is going, how, how things in your life, how's work going, how's your marriage. Um, it tends to be, no, no, let's go do something together. There's logistics involved. Uh, it requires you be in person, right? Yeah, you know, you, we haven't got to the point where we can, you know, take our friend's hologram and go hang out with them at the bowling alley, right? So 
if I want to call you up on the phone and, and see how you're doing, like I, I can do that now. But if I want to, if I want to do something with you um, and engage in activity for the most part, unless it's like video games online, uh, which men are more likely to do than women, it does require you to be like in relative close proximity to me again, which, which restricts the number of friends I can have and do things with. Um, so I think that's one, right? We, we are geographically mobile um, throughout our lives and we, and we don't, really prioritize men in particular don't prioritize friendships and and we we hear this a lot like oh i haven't i haven't talked to my friend in three years but if i was to pick up the phone and call him we would you know be right where we were three years ago and the problem with that mentality is that you've missed out in the three intervening years all the benefits of that friendship all the kind of social support all the personal support emotional support you could get from that friend all the ways that you could share um uh, your feelings and, and share your life, what's going on. You've missed out on that now. Um, and that's the problem, right? We, we benefit, uh, from friendship in direct proportion to the amount we put in it. And we don't always get out what we put in, but we, we will never get more out than we put in. You know, I'm, I obviously have not done the research, but I, I just think that from, a, from a personal perspective, men, men need more, um, physical activities together with other, with other men. I think just speaking from experience, going out and camping with my best friend and just like roughing it and, and really not enjoying it, but like embracing that suck <laughs> somehow by, by the end, by the end of that camping trip, somehow I developed a deeper relationship with that guy. Yeah. And it was awesome. So, I mean, again, again we, yeah, there, there's absolutely, I, I find it when I even spend a short amount of time with my, my male friends, like, I'm like, I've benefited from it. I feel like, you know, I, and I love my wife and I love my kids, but like, I really benefit from the the companionship. And yeah. so I, it's, it's easy to like put it off and sort of say, okay, you know, I, you know, there's things I've got to do. And there's things that seem kind of, um, you know, that can be kind of put aside or delayed, but really, you know, they shouldn't be. How does the geographic mobility of younger generations impact the friendship recession among men? So geographic mobility matters because um, it disconnects you from community. One of the things that we know, there's a, there's a larger decline in, in religion, in our, our civic engagements. Um, we know um, there's a delay in marriage. I think the average age for, for men now uh, for our first marriages is, is, is 30 years old. So men are staying single longer. They are less connected to their community, local civic uh, organizations. They're less tied uh, to religious communities. You know, men in particular are less likely than women to be part of religious communities. So there's, they're really, uh, you know, in any number of ways, men are, are, really um, at a disadvantage here. The other thing that we haven't talked about yet is the importance of work. So in our survey, we found that the most likely place you are to meet a close friend today is in the office or at your workplace. Uh, and as we debate the future of in-person versus remote work versus flexible schedules, uh, this has not really been addressed. And I think it really needs to be. We need to better understand the social component, the social benefit of, of having colleagues, you know, talking with them at the water cooler, the break room, getting, going out to lunch with them or coffee, uh, going to happy hour after work, all these social outlets that, that a workplace provides, particularly for young people. You're moving to a new city or a new area, you don't know a lot of people, chances are that the people who you will hang out with, who you know, who get to know first, are your coworkers. 
And so, you know, if we sort of say, hey, you can work remotely now um, in one way, that's great, right? That's there's more flexibility. You can avoid rush hour traffic, but it's going to come at a cost. And that cost seems to be this isolation where, you know, my work life and friendships are essentially condensed into one place. And my life outside of the workplace culminates into into loneliness, essentially. Yeah. And, you know, for, for your average workplace, it's eight hours a day. You're interacting with a lot of different people, some of whom you may not even like. Um, and any, of, any number of us have, you know, horror stories about, you know, coworkers who ate our lunch or something like that. So, right, that, that happens. But you, there's a lot of, of time we spend socializing with people uh, at our work. And even if you don't build a close friendship, uh, it like we shouldn't think that the only goal in life is to create close friendships, right? The other activity-based friendships, the, the people at work you hang out with occasionally, those are valuable too. Uh, and there's a lot of research that, that suggests that this is really important. And that one of the challenges for retirees is being cut off from even those, because um, right, they're not cut off from their close friends, chances are that they'll, they'll keep those. What they lose are those uh, more tenuous social relationships. And those actually really matter. I want to ask you a question about quality versus quantity. I know that men should make more friends, but how can we make more while also preserving the quality of friendship? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that really... Uh, is, is a central question. And one of the really surprising findings from the survey is on this question of quality versus quantity. What we found was that what, having one or even two close friends was really not enough. When you're looking at outcomes like depression and anxiety and loneliness, you really need three, four, five, even six close friends um, to really start seeing the benefit of that, to really being able to, to lower your chances of feeling those things regularly. Uh, when we looked at the differences of, between people who had zero friends and people who had one close friend, there was not a lot of difference in just in terms of how lonely they felt. So it really matters to have, you, you, you need a more robust social network. You can't rely just on one, even if, if it's your, you know, your friendship soulmate, your best friend, childhood friend, that's just simply not enough. There's, there's a numbers game here. And, and the data suggests that we need more than one. You know, that's interesting because I can think of living my own life and hearing this. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, I could probably add a few more friends, but the, it's the effort. Like, I, I don't want to go out and just have that small talk and develop that relationship because in my mind, it's like, man, that's just so much work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you're not alone. But that's but it's necessary, though. Yeah. 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 I think plenty, not just men. I mean, men, plenty of men and women feel that way. Yeah. It is. It, it is. In one level, it is work. You are putting in time. You know, you are you are listening. You are um, trying to connect with people. And that, yeah, that that takes that takes energy. That takes time. Yeah, when when I think of friendship, I initially think of Braveheart because at the beginning of the film, the two boys they beat the crap out of each other and they and they have fun, they enjoy it. And I think of that because that's what I did when I was a kid. I bring this up because I'm curious: was there ever a time when men had friendship right? Yeah, it's a, it's a really intriguing question, and I'm you know I'm not an ethnographer, I'm not an anthropologist, so it may be that certain college certain cultures do this better, or, or certain time periods, you know, there's there were better models. Mm -hmm. Uh, for male friendship. Uh, and I think for me, you know, one sign that, you know, we're in a better place when it comes to this stuff, uh, there's two things that I would look for. One is that there are enduring institutions that um, allow for, for men, 
men and women um, to form enduring relationships. Uh, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be through your workplace. Uh, you know, there's something that's stable that can come with you regardless of where you live, regardless of how often you move that, um, and, you know, maybe the, there's a way forward with the internet. Uh, you know, we can find people to date on the internet. We, you know, there are, you can find activity groups on the internet. So maybe there's some way forward there. Um, I'm not overly optimistic. So that's one piece. The other piece I think is that, you know, men don't feel constrained um, by whatever you want to call it, sort of cultural expectations, uh, societal prohibitions that, you know, my, you know, I have two, two boys, three-year-old and a five-year-old uh, right now. The, my five-year-old, like he holds the hands of all his friends, you know, male friends, female friends. At some point he's going to stop doing that because someone's going to make fun of him for it. Right. Mm. They're going to say, you know, oh, why boys shouldn't be holding hands. Uh, and I think, you know, if he doesn't like holding hands, fine, don't do it. Right. Like, um, but he shouldn't feel like he can't, uh, right. Similarly, he shouldn't feel like he can't express himself. He can't share how he's feeling. You know, he shares how he's feeling all the time with me. And, and I want that for him with both his female and his male friends. Cause right now he doesn't really distinguish, uh, but at some point, you know, puberty will hit and things will change and society will weigh in. And I, you know, I think that when men and women, feel freedom to engage with each other um, in, in healthy uh, ways that are, you know, do not feel like they're constrained. I think that'll be, um, that'll be really important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you bring up a good point. I think that if a, a healthy family unit um, prevents that, that, that future loneliness for, for a young man. I think that if, if a boy develops a, a meaningful relationship with the with his father, with his mother. I think that there is this innate understanding of what friendship is uh, on an intimate level. And I know I, I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. The other thing, and some really fascinating research is showing, is that this is that if your parents are very social, uh, they have friends over to the house. You know, you're, that's another type of model behavior. Uh, you know, your kids are watching you so closely. And so if you have a lot of friends over, you're, um, you're very social, they see that. And then they say like, oh, that's pretty cool. I really like that. I really like that, you know, my, you know, my parents were really happy. They, you know, communicated, they engaged, they, you know, they experienced these, all these things with their friends. That's another type of, of model behavior, of learned behavior that I think is really important. Last question for you. What is uh, one piece of advice for somebody who is listening to this, who is struggling with loneliness and understands that they do need to make new friends and but it's difficult sometimes insecurities get in the way sometimes just life situations get in the way what's one piece of advice that they could they could take away from this yeah i mean i I would say two things one is that you're not alone in your loneliness right there's a lot of people that are that are suffering and so uh it's real like what you're feeling like feel it and acknowledge it understand it and i think like the hardest thing to do is like to reach out to people but but man, you'll be really surprised when you do. Um, and, and you don't have to like be focused on making, again, this, you know, one all and be all friend who's going to be great, going to be with you through thick and thin. It can be just someone who you like um, going to the movies with, someone you want to take, you know, who lives near you, you can take a walk in the park with, someone that you like playing Dungeons and Dragons with. But whatever it is, um, it's all beneficial. Every piece is going to help you. Um, so, you know, make sure that you set your boundaries appropriately, you know, all that stuff. Uh, but then like, just make yourself available, reach out to people. 
and I think most people are going to be really ready to to have folks reach out and and start a friendship after being locked down and, and isolated for such a long period of time. You know, we're all going to be a little rusty at it. So I think it's just uh, on us, you know, to each of us to try to take the first step. Daniel Cox is the founder and director of the Survey Center on American Life and a senior research fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. It's absolutely my pleasure. As always, thank you for listening. Our team loves putting this podcast together for you. It's encouraging to hear from our listeners. Feedback is incredibly important to us because it lets us know what you like to hear more of, including the kinds of topics you're interested in most. If you have comments, feedback, or ideas for a show topic or interesting guest, you can email our team at actonline at actin.org. Until next week, for Actonline, I'm Gabriel Zsa. Zsa.